Welcome into another edition of the CFF Sites preseason preview series. My name is Joe DeSalvo, and I'm joined, as always, by my partner, Mike Bainbridge. Mike, we're about halfway through this series now. And, you know, the fortunate thing, over we, we probably picked a good time to record these shows because the last couple of weeks have been fairly quiet in regards to college fantasy football news. You know, you and I spend a lot of time in the spring. You know, just when we think we're done, we, we have to, you know, reevaluate things because of all the transfers uh, going into the portal, coming out of the portal. The last couple of weeks have been fairly quiet and through and through most of the shows we've done so far, and we're about halfway through, everything that we've recorded has, has, pretty, has pretty much held true. There's been no major changes, and here we are, are, are going into a show on the Big Ten. So uh, timing's been pretty good so far, don't you think? Yeah, and good timing that we're covering the Big Ten, too, because I think the only transfer that's happened in the last few weeks, at least notable transfer, is Kobe Lewis to Purdue. So we'll cover that one later in the show. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that. And, you know, we're headed into, you know, tomorrow, Mike and I, we start our uh, third best ball, uh, the CFF site industry best ball draft. So we'll have those results going into the draft guide, which is available. And, you know, Mike, you and I have spent some time talking you know, with the news being a little quiet, it's also been a little quiet at the site. The Discord's still popping a little bit. And, you know, we get a lot of subscribers that come in. Once when the 4th of July hits, college fantasy football drafts start heating up. I expect a lot of action heading over there at Fantrax that, that hosts out all of these drafts and, and really is the number one host for college fantasy football right now. But, you know, you and I have talked about it as well. Some of the site-hosted best ball drafts we did last year, you reminded me about that earlier today. We're going to get that. I know we had some folks reach out on the Discord. So a lot of good info and a lot of good leagues and a lot of good uh, stuff still yet to come with the CFF site. We're going to do a lot of updates over the next couple of weeks. We'll probably have those results in there. We may go ahead and post some updates on the ADP data uh, once when we get June uh, taken care of. So a lot more still to come. And, and you and I talked that a lot of updates are going to start coming in once when the preseason camps open. So it's been a little quiet over the last week or two, but we don't expect that to last much longer. Nope. Let's dive in. Let's dive in. So look, man, let's go through the big 10 and, you know, whether we want to say we're going to go alphabetically or relevant, less relevant to more relevant uh, what I tried to do is I tried to get some of the easier ones out of the way, some of the ones that might be a little less fantasy relevant. So we're going to start with the Scarlet Knights over at Rutgers, Mike, where, you know, they I added a couple of receivers in the portal, uh, in the portal, maybe most notable Taj Harris from Syracuse, but still a lot of questions over at Rutgers and, and what they're going to do over at quarterback spot. For me, no real fantasy uh, interest in Rutgers this year. Is there anything where you've got your eyes in particular? Not really. Um, you're not drafting a running back under uh, offensive coordinator Sean Gleason. Aside from that one like absurd 300 carry season from Chuba Hubbard uh, back at Oklahoma State, you know he runs a, a, a by committee approach. So yep. you're not interested in the starter there. Receivers, kind of how you mentioned. I think it's a good group uh, for for you know, Big Ten standards for Rutgers standards uh, with Ta Taj Harris being added and, and Sean Ryan coming over from West Virginia. But, you know, I don't think they have the, the, the passing attack to really support four solid wide receivers. So I don't really have any interest there. Quarterback, I don't have a lot of interest either, but I, I just want to see a better Rutgers offense. And I think it's just 
I, you know, I mentioned this in the guide. I think we could all agree that it's time to just turn the tables, get away from Noah Bedrill. Okay, we know what he is at this point, and and turn it over to the sophomore quarterback Gavin Wimsatt. And you, you know, you didn't you didn't see a ton in the in the bowl game versus Wake Forest. I think he split time in that game. Uh, he did rush for 39 yards on four carries, so he's not really a run first quarterback, but he's definitely mobile. Um, and we've seen some seasons where Gleason, again, the, the offensive coordinator, will get his quarterbacks on the run. You know, we saw he had uh, Spencer Sanders at Oklahoma State, who he ran maybe 139 times, I believe. Uh, one of his Princeton quarterbacks, he ran around that same amount. So maybe there's some potential there. Um, but outside of that, you know, I, again, it's, it's Rutgers football. So. I think they should push for a bowl game this year again. Um, you know, I mean, they made it last year with five wins. <laughs> but um, I think they should push for bowl eligibility, just not a ton of interest from from a CFF standpoint. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly it, right? Just from a, a college fantasy football relevant offense, that's going to be tough to find value. Um, we could skip over to Northwestern real quick where, you know, I, I – Information, as you say, even around your neck of the woods is tough to find, which is very interesting considering that Northwestern is a Big Ten program, right? So sometimes the lack of information that comes out of the program is, is a little concerning. And we know we've, have, we've got Cam Porter returning, who had a good season two years ago. Evan Hall coming off of a tremendous season last year. We're under the assumption that it'll probably be Hall 1 and Porter 2, maybe even more so 1A, 1B, maybe. Um, but is there any other interest in Northwestern other than what develops at running back this year? Not at all. Um, I, I was looking at this in the, in the last eight years, Northwestern has thrown for 105 passing touchdowns combined over the last eight years. Alabama has done that in the last two and a half years at this point. So like we have zero interest in the Northwestern passing game. Um, we used to have interest in their tight ends when, remember that back a couple of years ago, they used to call them like super backs, yeah. something like that. Um, we used to have interest in their tight ends there, but not, nothing going there. So I, I, all of our focus is, is in that backfield and, you know, I wish we would have gotten more Intel, but I, I kind of think of a situation of no news is good news with regards to Cam Porter. Um, you know, he's on all the projected depth charts. So it, it just kind of tea leaves point to Cam Porter being ready uh, for week one, which is good for Northwestern, bad for us, because I think we probably see a split. And, you know, it's not just those two. I mean, they got Anthony Tyus, who's a, who's a kind of a high three-star recruit, um, played a little bit last year. Andrew Clare for the Bowling Green transfer still there. You know, he's a, a capable backup option. So, um, I think this running game could be really good. Um, they got four starters back, bring in a Colorado State transfer, all-American candidate and left tackle. So I think this running game is going to be improved. We just might have too many cooks in the kitchen uh, in that backfield for, for consistency over the season. Yeah, and you know, unfortunately for us, it might be a couple of weeks before we really find out what kind of rotation and what kind of workload those backs are going to get. And unfortunately, the early part of the season is the part you're going to want to take advantage of. You know, Mike, I, you know, I, I talk about sometimes I look and do some schedule evaluation. And when I look at Northwestern, 
they seem to be the Big Ten team this year that caught the bad luck in the schedule run. I'm going to real quick get into Northwestern's schedule just to mention this because I think it's a really tremendous bad luck of the way the matchups shake out. But starting in week five, they go at Penn State, Wisconsin, then they're off. Then they go at Iowa, Ohio State, at Minnesota. Like there's no cupcake in that schedule right there. So it's just a really bad run. So they are going to be good. You and I expect them to be able to produce something, right? But whether or not they're going to be able to do it with any consistency and that run of schedule right there really just has us turned off right now, I think, going into the season, uh, unfortunately, with the Wildcats offense. Yeah, I think I think mostly we need to pay attention to, especially early in the – or late in the summer, so, or, you know, leading up to week one, I'd say pay attention to those Cam Porter reports and see if if he's – 100%, 75%, um, maybe not play. So I think, you know, that kind of determines our interest in an Evan Hall, uh, maybe as a streamer in week one. Yep. And yeah, good point. Now let's go over to Illinois. We'll spend a time, a little bit of time on that program where we have running back Chase Brown ranked fairly high. I, you know, he's somewhere in the 30s in our preseason fantasy draft guide. You know, we know we've also got Josh McCray in that backfield as well. Uh, the, you know, offensive coordinator comes in from UTSA. So there will be a little philosophical differences, maybe schematically uh, this year, but we don't expect much to change up. Right. But other than, you know, Chase Brown in that backfield, maybe Isaiah Williams at receiver, any other interest in Illinois offensively from a fantasy standpoint this year? No, it's those three for the most part. Um I, you know, just thinking about the Illinois backfield, I, 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 it's like a, it's both a doomsday and kind of upside scenario of, you know, under, under Barry Looney, we have, we have evidence he'll feed his running back one. We saw that with sincere McCormick. Does Chase Brown get the, the 200 to 250 carries? I don't think so because context is important here where Josh McCray proved that he is a legitimate you know, right now, back up to Chase Brown, you know, rushed for 500 yards as a true freshman last year. UTSA behind McCormick didn't have, they had Brennan Brady, like who cares, right? So, you know, we have evidence that this coach loves to get his running back, won the, the football for 200 plus carries, but I think the depth in the backfield is going to kind of uh, limit Chase Brown's vol- overall volume and I'd, I'd assume we see close to a 65-35, maybe 60-40 split uh, between those two running backs. Well, context is everything in this regard, too, Mike. And let's let's keep in mind, you know, we were talking UTSA, who was the cream of the crop over in their conference last year, where Illinois is really just middle of the Big Ten, right? So, you know, when you've got an offense that's playing ahead, it's easier and, and grinding out first downs late in games. It's easier to run that carry total up with your RB ones. And even to get RB twos, those carries uh, I'm not expecting to see the dominance out of the Illinois offense, as we saw with that Lunny had at UTSA last year. And that, you know, that's going to play a little bit into the count uh, to, to the snap count too, for those offensive starters for Illinois. Yeah. Illinois, I mean, maybe it changes under Brett Bielma. I mean, I, again, I'm biased to an extent, just living here in big 10 country, Illinois is never going to have a dominant offense. In my opinion. Um, there's just too many, too many big name schools in the big 10 that just prioritize football above Illinois. But um, 
Yeah, I, they're never going to have the dominance. They just need to be better than what they were last year, which I think they can too. You know, they bring in Tommy DeVito at quarterback, you know, make the jokes that you want about his performance at Syracuse, but he's an upgrade over what they had last year. And maybe that helps somebody like Isaiah Williams. Yep. Now let's go over to Indiana where they reshuffled the deck, Mike, brought in a bunch of transfers, kind of late Bazelak quarterback from Missouri. They brought in Sean Shivers from Auburn, Josh Henderson at running back as well from UNC. Uh, Emory Simmons, wide receiver from UNC. They, they brought in some pieces to kind of rebuild over at Indiana from a fantasy standpoint, where are you most intrigued? Nowhere. (laughs) I I don't want any part of this offense. Um, Walt Bell was kind of a up and comer a few years ago. Um, Hasn't coordinated a top 25 offense in, in years now at this point. So um, I think they should be better than last year. It's hard not to be better than they were last year, but, um, you know, Bazelak, it's been running quarterbacks under Walt Bell that have been fantasy relevant, and he's not that. He'll be better than than what they had last year, but he's not that. They don't have any interest there. Um, Sean Jivers uh, comes over from Auburn in the backfield. You, you don't make fun of his of his size on Twitter because I've seen cases where he'll come after you on Twitter, but um, I don't think he'll watch this video. We're you know he's 190 pounds, at five foot eight maybe five foot seven. So I don't expect him to to carry a, a 200 200 uh, attempt like season. Um, he'll probably split with Josh Henderson who came over from North Carolina. So no interest there. Um, what do you think of the passing game, Joe? Uh, well, you know, I, I'm not really interested in the passing game. I was going to say, you know, I think, look, I'm much like you. I don't have a lot of interest in the Indiana offense from a college, college fantasy f- uh, football standpoint, but I do feel that if there is a sleeper, I think Shivers could be it. You know, he comes in, he was, you know, he wasn't bad at Auburn. He was behind Tank Bigsby. I'm curious to see how involved the running backs can be. And Shivers can be a weapon out of the backfield as well. If there's any interest for me, he would be more it, uh, more, more of the interest for me. I don't have any interest in the passing game whatsoever. I, I, for me, I think it's going to be the running game. And, and if there's a sleeper, it might be him. But Mike, there's just too much going on within the Big Ten and to look elsewhere for me to invest too much into this Indiana offense early on. I would say the one guy that's being drafted, I've, I haven't drafted him, but A.J. Barner, um, tight end, kind of stuck behind uh, Peyton Hendershot uh, last year. But, you know, he had a 70-yard 70, reception against Idaho last year. Um, he's, he's loved by this coaching staff. He's got the size at 6'6". Six six. Um, my only concern here, and again, this is where I personally get in trouble, is that Tight ends under Walt Bell have had just one, or I think the the highest catch season from a Walt Bell tight end is 26 receptions. So that doesn't that doesn't get my juices flowing from a, a tight end option standpoint. Well, let's get to an offense that might get the juices flowing a little bit in the passing game. Let's go over to Maryland, Mike. So um, you know, got Tagovailoa back at quarterback. Hopefully Dante Demas can come back healthy. We still got a little bit ways. To, we still have to go a little bit to, to really get news there. He didn't, Demas wasn't much of a factor in the spring. Probably going to need all summer to get back to close to where he was at last year. They've got Rakeem Jarrett and they've got some insurance. They went and signed Jacob Copeland 
brought him in through the transfer portal over from Florida. Uh, you know, there's some potential in this Maryland offense. For me, the value is in the passing game. We know there can be value in the running back spot right now. Uh, but for me, it, it's sort of, you know, if I were looking at this, you know, we talked a lot, spring camp, all things considered equal, Demas comes back to form. I like him more than Jarrett, but right now I think I may favor more Jarrett just because I know right now he's more of the healthier option going into the summer right now. That may change as we get into preseason camp, but for me, I do like the Maryland passing attack, and based on the schedule, traditionally, Maryland does their damage early on in the season through the non-conference before they hit the meat of that Big 12 schedule, so I think if you if you jump on Maryland, you're looking for early returns out of that passing game. Early returns, and 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 what I like, <laughs> what I like about Maryland is that specifically when talking about Talia Tagovailoa, is that you unless he unless he improves you know, this year, um, you kind of you can predict when he's going to 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 boom or bust, I guess, because you look at his performances last year, 13 points against Iowa, 14 against Ohio State. Uh, I think he had 13 against Minnesota and then 18 against Penn State and 21 against Michigan, which against Michigan, those were all garbage points because they were blowing them out by four touchdowns. Um, so those were five of the better defenses in, in the Big Ten last year. And, you know, I, it's you mentioned it. Maryland does a lot of their, you know, good work in the in the non-con when they're the, when they're not playing the the meat of the big 10 schedule yeah. so um I, I like that from a standpoint of you can predict if you're in a redraft uh if you're in a redraft league you can predict kind of when talia is gonna when you want to start him and when you're not going to because you know he'll 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 score the bulk of his points um you know against the lesser competition of the big 10 well, something to suggest, and, and this is something that you and I go, um, you know, we, we kind of help out some people when we're talking about trade advice through the year as we're, we're analyzing rosters. We know that Maryland starts fast. You look again at the schedule this year, right? In week nine, mo most college fantasy seasons head-to-head, -head, you know, playoff format is going to end in week 13. But the, 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 let's look at the back end of their schedule. They're off in week nine. They go at Wisconsin in 10, at Penn State in 11, and OSU in 12, right? So we could even make the case, hey, get your returns early. And then if you're any type of redraft league, that might be a good time, maybe six, seven weeks into the season to kind of exploit what they've done early on, put those guys, package them together in some sort of trade and maybe avoid the back-end schedule. Yeah, I mean, they've upgraded their talent. This and Maryland's, again, just, I, you know, they're another team similar to Illinois where they're just, I don't think they're able to compete with the big boys of the big 10. And, and like you said, once they get out of that non-con, maybe it's time to to trade some of those pieces that, that, that scored all the points in the early portion of the season. Well, let's go to a program that seems to be immune to the big boys of the big 10 in regards to college fantasy production, Wisconsin, because it's all about RB one, at that in for that Wisconsin offense. Mike, there's not a lot of places to look at when it comes to college fantasy football except that one. But we talk about systems. Wait, and there may not me, be a you're that? telling me you don't want to start with Graham Mertz? There, there you don't want to start ah, with Graham Mertz? 
Mike, we just wasted five seconds on Graham Mertz, right? But but really, one of the best systems when it comes to college fantasy football, you and I talk about systems all the time. Braylon Allen, you know, after what he did last year, I think the biggest the biggest question, you know, we have moving forward, and I think a lot of people will wonder is, how much of a factor will Ches Malisi be this year? I mean, he did have a significant amount of work up until his injury last year. And considering that the, the baton, the torch, so to speak, was passed to Braylon Allen, I think the biggest question going into 2022 for me is just how much work is Malisi going to get in the backfield as, as a 1B or a number two behind Braylon Allen this year? Same for you? Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm just – it is because Ches Malusi obviously performed well when he was – when he was getting the majority of the work early portion of the season last year, but I, I don't know. I just, I'm just kind of, it's grained. I think it's ingrained in me and it's probably in you too, that I, I feel like it's going to be just one guy. Right. And, 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 and Braylon Allen, I think obviously traditionally people, it has been right. Traditionally it has been. And I think, you know, being 18 years old, having done what he did the second half of last season, I just, you know, the coaches can probably talk up Chesman Lucy, but I just, I, I personally feel like it's going to be the Braylon Allen show, 20 plus carries a game. Offensive line should be better this year. Um, you know, if they get three starters back, I think they have confidence in in the rest of the line that they're replacing. Um, I don't, I haven't, you know, I, I haven't dove, dove too deeply into uh, any changes that Bobby Ingram, the new offensive coordinator is making just because, you know, we kind of, we just expect it to be the Wisconsin, yeah. the Wisconsin way, right? They're just going to run the ball ground and pound and, and, and they're just going to kind of do what they do. So um, for me, it's, it's, I know Malusi's there, but I think it's just Braylon Allen running back one. The one, the one question I did have about Wisconsin is, you know, through the 2025 drafts that I've done uh, so far this off season, not one Wisconsin tight end has been drafted, not one. And, and this is a spot that's been very productive. I think 39 receptions a season over the last eight years, but nobody's even taking a shot uh, on, on any, uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't even know how the pecking order is shaking out at tight end right now, but nobody's taking a shot on anybody. In well, I, I, and, and I think it could play a little bit into once when we talk tight ends and drafts, uh, once when you get past the top tight top tier tight ends, I think people draft, for upside. And I think even though Wisconsin has been fairly consistent over the last seven, eight years, I'm not even sure if they've had a tight end catch more than five touchdown passes in any of those for as many passes that they've caught. Right. I mean, that was something that you and I did look at. And so sometimes people pass consistency for the possibility of upside. And sometimes you miss the boat there too. Right. Because you, you know, you might try to go bigger and instead of maybe just getting that one guy that maybe will catch 32 passes, four touchdowns, uh, you know, 350 yards, 400 yards, you might swing a mess and end up with a tight end that winds up catching 18 passes, 200 yards and two touchdowns. So maybe that plays a little bit into it. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I, I would suggest just keep an eye on, on the tight end early part of the season. If somebody starts to pop, then I suggest adding them on waivers. Well, we can we can speak, you know, it's a it's a very similar situation as we transition over to Iowa, where really the value for the Hawkeyes has been right at running back and then tight end. I mean, those are the two spots that we look at. There's more of a question, or is there, Mike, at running back between, you know, Gavin Williams and 
LaShawn Williams at Iowa. You and I are on board with Gavin Williams this year. Uh, for me, that's that's where most of the interest is, and then maybe at tight end as well, right? Yeah, for me, it's backfields. Uh, well, backfield in conjunction with the offensive line, because the offensive line was terrible last year. It was brutal. Um, 127th in line yards, uh, 278 fantasy points from the Iowa running backs scored last year, which was 78th in the country. Um, so, and, and it's not, it's not Tyler Goodson's fault. It was the offensive line was just terrible outside of their center. Um, so four starters back progression to the mean, maybe with, you know, we expect an Iowa offensive line to be, um, one of the best in in the big 10, if not the country. So hopefully four starters back, maybe we see improvement from that group. I think the big question for me in the backfields is, we know a pecking order. Gavin Williams, probably the starter right now, and LaShawn Williams, the backup. How are the carries divvied up? Because um, Goodson had a huge market share last year. I think like 46, 47% of, of Iowa's carries to running backs um, the last two years. And then you go the two years prior to that, and it was really like, 25% to 20% maybe split between the running back one, running back two. So um, I like Gavin Williams, but I, I'm not sure how Iowa is going to divvy up the carries between those two. Yeah. I, you know, I actually think the safest option right now for fantasy purposes, Sam Laporte the tight end, who by most accounts is probably a top 10, top 12 tight end this year. So I think he's probably the safest option. And then, you know, you're probably going with Gavin Williams, maybe the higher ceiling, but you're still taking a little bit of risk involved there with LaShawn Williams with him, right? Yeah. And one last note, you know, we're not, we're not drafting Iowa receivers, you know, not with, with Alex Padilla and and Spencer Petras, that quarterback, but uh, Keegan Johnson did have uh, seven targets. Uh, or more in five of the last six games last year. So they started, they started targeting him the more as the season went along. He was just a freshman last year, maybe somebody you can get way, you know, in the, in, in the distant back end of your draft. So let's go over to Minnesota, Mike, where again, eyes will be on the backfield, but Kirk Siaraka comes back um, and rejoins the program. Interesting enough, Tanner Morgan, still a quarterback, experienced his best year throwing the ball when Sierraka was there as offensive coordinator. Chris Ottman-Bell, you and I are expecting better from him this year. He was hurt right before the season opener last year, which set him back. And then, of course, they lose Muhammad Ibrahim in, you know, in the you know, first game of the year against Ohio State when he looked all-world. He was a preseason top three running back for us last year. Uh, that was a big loss for that offense. Trey Potts is back this year with Ibrahim, so there should be a one-two punch. The question is, are we going to get a heavy workload from the w- running back one this year? For me, I think for me, that's the biggest question. I do like Chris Ottman-Bell this year, too, to have a better year. So I, I do think there's a couple of options to look at and consider on draft day for Minnesota this year. How about yourself? Yeah, adding getting back the offensive coordinator, I think, is the big storyline excuse me for Minnesota along with the health status of the two running backs um and it, it's kind of similar to Northwestern where it sounds like Mo Ibrahim is going to be good to go for week one I think I, I I haven't checked it like you know as of this week but um 
I think Trey Potts is going to be ready, but on the, 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 in case he's not, I think, you know, you, you got to just keep tabs on that, that, that backfield for Minnesota and see if, if Mo Ibrahim, I, I, it's a question of, are they, how are they going to divvy those carries, right? Because if Potts is not playing, then we expect Mo Ibrahim to get the bulk of the work if he plays week one. If Potts is there, are, are they going to look more kind of like what Fleck had at Western Michigan, where they split the, the backfield between the, the top two running backs? So I think the health status of Trey Potts and, of course, Mo Ibrahim is 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 what we're, we're paying attention to most in the summer. And certainly worth monitoring because the upside for running back in that offense, if they, you know, somebody like Mo Ibrahim comes back and gets the bulk of those carries, I mean, he's, you know, you're looking – where we have them ranked right now, Mike, is a little indicative to us being a little hesitant uh, or really the un- unknown, right? If we knew that Mo Ibrahim were going to get, and if he was healthy enough to get 20 carries per game, you know, we'd have him probably ranked a lot higher, but we got to err on the side of caution right now, don't we? Yeah. Um, it, it, Trey Potts proved last year when healthy that he's, I'm not saying at Mo Ibrahim level, but he proved plenty capable. So I, I think if both are healthy, I think you're going to see more of a, a split between the two backs as opposed to what we saw from Mo, uh, Big Mo uh, a couple of years ago. Now let's go over to to cover Sparty, Mike, where they lose the Doak Walker Award winner in Kenneth Walker III. The proven commodities right now for Michigan State are in the passing game with Peyton Thorne, right, and Jaden Reed, 1,000-yard receiver coming back. Thorne, I think, had 30-plus total touchdowns, maybe 31 total touchdowns last year. But a big hole to fill in that backfield where they're bringing in Jarek Broussard over from Colorado. They brought in Jalen Berger, the transfer from Wisconsin. Uh, Broussard wasn't there in the spring, so we're expecting him to kind of make up for lost time in preseason camp, Davion Prim, the youngster, kind of made some noise in spring camp. But you and I still, you know, we have uh, we have our, our rankings pinned on Jarek Broussard going into to preseason for us. And I think, you know, those are sort of the names we're looking at for college fantasy football for 2022 this year, isn't it? Yeah, I think we're paying attention to the backfield this summer. Yeah. Um, but... But like not really, because we want to know kind of how the pecking order is gonna gonna shake out. But I mean, I, I think we're both in agreement that nobody's gonna match what Kenneth Walker did last year. I found an interesting stat: the running back two uh, under um, under offensive coordinator Jay Johnson um, has averaged twenty seven percent. Uh, total share of the carries in the five years prior to last year and 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 last year the running back two had just 14 percent of the carries um so I think now that you know there's no Kenneth Walker we we got two kind of 1a maybe 1b situation with with Berger and Broussard I think we're going to see those carries distributed more evenly between the two I'd still like to know what the pecking order is um, but definitely we're not going to have a, a workforce like we had a year ago. 
For me, Jaden Reed's the target in this offense. For me, that's where the value's at from a college fantasy standpoint. They lose, I, I think they lost at least four, maybe five starters. So they have to even rebuild the offensive line. So, you know, they're completely rebuilding that running game right now. I know you still got to replace the lineman to be efficient in the passing game too. But for me, Jaden Reed is the guy that I like most from a value standpoint for college fantasy football this year. And there could be a chance that that offense even is a little bit more pass heavy than they were a year ago. Yeah, if you're talking value, yeah, I agree. Like, I I like Jaden Reed the best. Uh, if you're talking value, I think Peyton Thorne is is definitely a guy that you need to consider. Not as you don't want him as your as your starter, but um, you know, this guy scored 28 or more fantasy points eight times last year. Yeah, and, and we and just like you said, we expect them to pass the ball a little bit more this year. Well, not that it's a complete comparison, but from a point standpoint, it may be very similar to Devin Leary down at North Carolina State, where we talked about, right? Like where he's not, this is not a top tier fantasy quarterback, but he's going to give you some consistency throughout the year. And he's just, you know, he could be sneaky good for you week to week. Yeah. And, and like I said, eight times he scored 28 points or more in two of the games that he scored either, you know, in the teens or single digits were games that he wasn't needed, right? I mean, I hate to mention it, but the game against Michigan where Kenneth Walker ran for, what, 300 yards and five touchdowns? Like, Peyton Thorne doesn't need to throw the ball that game. Um, he wasn't needed against Indiana because of their inept offense. So um, I, I think he is just a rock-solid, consistent uh, backup option on, on your fantasy roster. Now we go from one program with questions in the backfield to questions in the passing game. Let's go over to Purdue, Mike, where – they lost Milton Wright due to for academic reasons, right? So that really kind of sent a lot of college fantasy drafts uh, you know, all over the place yeah. in the spring, right? Now we're we're all flipping coins on on who's going to be that wide receiver one for the Boilermakers this year, and it seems like the leading candidates might be Brock Thompson, who had one heck of a bowl game against Tennessee last year, but was you know missed time in the spring recovering from an injury. You've got Tyrone Tracy that came over from Iowa who really fills a need and didn't do much with the Hawkeyes, but has the potential uh, to, to really play a role within that offense. You mentioned at the top of the show, Kobe Lewis coming in at running back, really adds depth to the backfield with King Doru, who they have there coming back as well, right? So, you know, this Boilermakers offense, questions abound. Does that hurt Aiden O'Connell? I think you and I have him. You know, we, we kind of not, not took him down a couple of notches after the loss of Milton Wright. We know there's going to be some value in the passing game this year, but right now there's a lot of concern on is there going to be that 90-plus catch receiver for Purdue this year? And I happen to think it might be spread around a little bit more this year. How about yourself? Um, it depends if Brock Thompson's healthy because – I, I mean, I, I, you know, I could look at my spreadsheet, but I, I, as of right now, I can't name the wide receiver three off the top of my head. Um, well, now that I'm blanking, but I, I think we could see a target share, you know, with Brown, Brock Thompson and, and Tyrone Tracy, that is, is kind of reminiscent of what we, what we've seen when, when it was David Bell and Rondell Moore. I think, I think we could see something similar if Brock Thompson is healthy um, they don't have a lot of established options now that Milton Wright is gone. Um, some, I think some context is needed with Tyrone Tracy because he is being drafted 
above Brock Thompson in pretty much every draft that I've participated in. And it's because of that spring game, right? Where, where Tyrone Tracy was just getting target after target after target. And it's enticing, but context is needed because he was playing with walk-ons at that point at, at the outside receivers, right? Brock Thompson was injured. Milton Wright was out, um, obviously, with his issues. So there's a reason he was getting fed the, the ball here. So I, I lean towards Brock Thompson as the better value. Seven of the last eight wide receiver ones were played on the outside, which is Brock Thompson. And the guy's proven it, right? He had that monster bowl game against Tennessee. So I like Brock Thompson as the, the you know, we have him projected higher in, in our projections. And I like him from a value standpoint because he's going after Tyrone Tracy in our, in, in our drafts. But the point I wanted to make is invest in both. There's no harm in investing in both for a team that's going to throw for 500, you know, 500 times in the season. I think wide receiver twos average around 14 points a game under, under Jeff Brom. So I think you invest in both, both wide receivers. Well, the reason why I can see things being spread out a little bit this year, and I, you know, I mentioned it that I could see, you know, um, um, Tyrone Tracy, Brian brought in kind of a hybrid role, right? Receiver, a little bit more of what they did with Jackson Anthrop last year, maybe even doing a little what they did with Rondale Moore. So using him more in a hybrid role, I think the names you were looking at, Mike, um, uh, TJ Sheffield, they have there. They brought in Elijah Cannon uh, transfer. They brought in Charlie Jones in for Iowa. So there is a lot of depth there, but really where's the big play receiver or the, you know, where are the big numbers going to come from? Traditionally, it's going to come from that outside spot right there where, you mentioned you've got Brock Thompson. So there are other names to consider, but I think just from a value standpoint right now, you and I are looking at Brock Thompson. We're looking at Tyrone Tracy. Uh, there may just be a little bit more parity in numbers this year. Um, and, and you know, that's the, that's the tough part is you just, when they lost Milton Wright, it was just that one steady performer the lack of that returning this year. So it's a little bit of an unknown, particularly with Thompson's injury history, right? Yeah. Um, I kind of wanted to cover Aiden O'Connell before we move on to. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Um, not, and it's, it's actually not particularly related to uh, Aiden O'Connell, but I know you love schedule talk and I, I looked at Purdue's schedule before this um, and it's soft. It really is. You get uh, Syracuse in the non-conference at Syracuse, which, I mean, Purdue, that place Purdue strengths being in the dome. Uh, you get Iowa and Penn State, probably the two best defenses they face at home. No Michigan, Michigan State, or Ohio State on, on the schedule either. So there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of, um, you know, uh, uh, pitfalls no, in, in Purdue's schedule. So I think that works in the favor of, of, O'Connell and, and these wide receivers. Yeah, as a matter of fact, when I was doing some schedule evaluation, the only bad three-game stretch that Purdue had was eight, nine, and ten when they go to Wisconsin, they're off, and then they host Iowa. And then you look back and you think about they've been able to produce against Iowa over the last couple of years. They have right? their number. They have right. their number, but that I, I remember like doing DFS write-ups. That's David Bell who had a, 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 a shit ton of success against yeah. Iowa. So I'm curious to see how that that goes when David Bell's not on the roster, but you're right. They've had success against, against the Hawkeyes recently. Now let's go over to the Cornhuskers, Mike, where there is pressure on Scott Frost. They bring in Casey Thompson. 
they brought in a bunch of transfers, right? Um, obviously, you've got Mark Whipple, offensive coordinator, through spring. It seems like Trey Palmer may assume that role that we saw Jordan Addison in under Whipple over at Pitt last year. There's some intrigue in the Nebraska offense. They've got to perform. Um, I'm expecting a little bit more of running back by committee right now at, at the running back spot. But the interest for me from a fantasy perspective is in both Casey Thompson and probably more so in Trey Palmer, particularly if he nails down that, that wide receiver spot. Um, are you kind of echoing those sentiments as well? Yeah. Uh, zero interest in a Mark Whipple running back. Um, it's, he's gone running back by committee every single year. So, um, and they have a good stable of running backs at, at, at Nebraska. So really no interest there. Um, Casey Thompson, I, I, you know, I was, when I'm typing up my scripts here for these, these shows, I can't really come up with anything for Casey Thompson. I think he's just kind of a, you know, a solid, solid option as a, as a backup, kind of like Peyton Thorne in a sense. Um, you know, decent arm, he'll be an upgrade over Adrian Martinez can run a little bit, but, um, you know, nobody that I'm, you know, if I miss Casey Thompson, uh, in, in a draft, I'm not crying over that. Um, what I would cry is if Trey Palmer, um, ends up being what we've seen under Whipple in the past with Andy Isabella, Maurice French, and then, and then last year, obviously with Jordan Addison, because, I mean, wide receivers just boom in this offense, 86 receptions, over a thousand yards every um, on average um, under Mark Whipple. Uh, friend of the site, uh, Zach Hall at CFF Champs, uh, was, I was texting with him earlier. You know, it's tough to come by Nebraska news a little bit. He was texting me. Some of the insiders are projecting all newcomers for their starting wide receivers with uh, with Trey Palmer starting in the slot and then Isaiah uh, Castaneda and uh, him starting outside from New Mexico State and then Marcus Washington coming over from Texas. Those are the projected starters at this point. Um, so we might have to do a little updating with our projections, but um, Trey Palmer is the one that that I, I have FOMO of, of, of missing out on just because of the well, I, I know from a ranking standpoint, I got him around 49-ish, 50. You've got him at around 60-ish. But it's one of those players that you can get in the mid-rounds of your draft that has one of those high upsides in that Mark Whipple offense that, that you and I are both willing to kind of take a swing and uh, at him maybe even a little bit earlier than where he, we have him in our rankings. Yeah, just because he's the outside. Yep. yep. Now let's go over to Penn State, Mike. we got three teams left. Uh, Penn State, uh, they, they've had to reshuffle the deck a little bit as well. They've got Sean Clifford coming back at quarterback, right? But they have to replace Jahan Dotson. Jahan Dotson, they pick up Mitchell Tinsley, bring him in from Western Kentucky uh, after he put up some monster numbers, particularly to close the year last year. They've got Parker Washington coming back. they got Andre Lambert-Smith coming back. And then really, the, you know, for, for Penn State, a lot of intrigue here. Uh, you and I both are projecting Nick Singleton to kind of come in and just take over that job from day one. There's no reason why he shouldn't. There really isn't much in that Penn State backfield. And so there are some options. Really, Singleton seems to be the, the guy that, that we're pegging as running back one. More of the intrigue is what happens at that wide receiver spot. You know, I myself, I do like Tinsley coming in and maybe taking that Dotson role, but there seems to be difference of opinion there. 
Um, where, where, where are you thinking with the Penn State offense? Yeah, I think if you look at our rankings, um, our split on, on Mitchell Tinsley is probably the widest of any player in our rankings. Um, if, you're a, if you're a systems person, you want a wide receiver under Mike Yersich, right? Five 1,000-yard uh, season. Same thing as we talked about when we mentioned Big 12 Oklahoma State outside receivers, right? Same, sort of same thing, same thing. Um, five 1,000-yard receivers in the last eight years. Uh, it is always, always the outside receiver under Yersich. So I just don't – I think there's there's – talent across the board with Mike uh with um Parker Washington, Kendra Lambert Smith, where I, I just get the feel that it might be spread out a little bit more this year. Um and I think if you want to bank on somebody, it's probably Mitchell Tinsley. I would draft him over Parker Washington. Um, I don't think he's more talented than Parker Washington, but this, again, it's a systems play, right? Well, I like reading the tea leaves sometimes too, coming out of spring where there was a comparison made. I believe it was by Sean Clifford to comparing Tinsley to Dotson. Right. And when, where, where there were some concerns and you hear that, you know, that's where I start to lean a little bit. You've got the starting quarterback that's kind of drawing comparisons to his top receiver from a year ago. And that's why I just have a lean one way or the other. You know, we don't take a ton out of spring. Sometimes it's nice to get some depth chart clarity, but for things like that, sometimes you're just looking for a little nugget or a comment that may distinguish one player for another. So that's a little bit why I'm on board with Tinsley plus the system, right? And so it's a little bit more of a gamble and you'd like to think some of the information that we get, that's what you and I do when it comes to these rankings, right? We take calculated risks based on the information we need, based on the history of the systems. And that's how we kind of come up with, with our projections and our rankings. Yeah, well, uh, well, maybe we'll make a side bet after after the show on, on Mitchell Tinsley. Um, just covering off on, on on the rest of the Penn State offense, um, I think Nichols, Nick Singleton's probably just, I, I'm projecting it to be a similar situation to Travion Henderson last year where maybe he doesn't start um, immediately in that first series uh, in week one, but I think eventually he'll take over the job. And really for Penn State, it's, similar to Iowa, fix your offensive line. I think um, 123rd in line yards last year. And then I I was looking, New Mexico State running backs scored more fantasy points than Penn State running backs last year. It's absurd, right? So for for a team or school like Penn State, fix your offensive line. Yeah, that shouldn't happen, right? It shouldn't happen. Um, And then Clifford, I, again, there's a lot of these types in the Big Ten. I think he's, he gets a bad rap, but again, a solid QB3 backup option. And I'd be really curious to see if they try and get him involved more in the running game um, because that could really boost his stock. You know, they got Taylor Cornelius involved in the running game when Mike Yersich was um, at Oklahoma State. They got Mason Rudolph involved a little bit more, uh, even in the running game. So, I mean, that could, you know, if he produces similarly in the passing game, gets maybe five, six rushing touchdowns, maybe he's a top 30 quarterback. Okay. Michigan Wolverines. It's a hard, it's a hard transition, right? Just stop and let's go right into it, Mike. Wolverines, the value definitely is going to be in the running game. Blake Corum, right? Donovan Edwards, who we're expecting both to be really tremendous fantasy factors this year. 
I'm going to kind of turn the, the, the floor over to you. That's where, that's, that's where my interest is at. And I'm willing to take any and all side bets when it comes to Michigan this year on not making the college football playoffs. So the floor is yours, my man. <laughs> um, I, yeah, we'll see once we get into fall when if JJ McCarthy starts to be trending forward as, as QB one there, I might take you up on that bet because um, I think they're, they have work to do on defense this year. A lot to replace, especially yeah. on on those bookends, right? With Aiden Hutchinson and three Kane. offensive linemen back this year. The offensive line is going to be dominant again this year. Um, three offensive linemen back. They upgraded at center, bringing in the number one, I think, transfer. He was the like the number one rated run blocking center according to Pro Football Focus uh, over from Virginia. There's they're starting a four-star recruit at, at right tackle. So offensive line is going to be just as good, if not better, than last year. Um, you know, wide receivers you don't care about in this offense, especially if Kate McNamara is the quarterback. Tight ends, Eric All, going to be a solid, maybe tight end two on your roster. Uh, the focus every year is, is with this running game, um, with the two running backs. And I'm, I'm interested to see how – uh, they're utilized. I'm Blake Corum's one A. Donovan Edwards is one B. But that shouldn't steer you away from drafting Donovan Edwards because I think he's going to be on the field, yeah, just as much, maybe slightly less than Blake Corum, just because of his utilization in the passing game. I wouldn't even be surprised to see those guys on the field a lot at the same time, and I'm not even going to be surprised to see Donovan Edwards finish as. I wouldn't even be surprised to see him finish as the second best receiver on the team by the end of the year, just when it comes to total yards. Or yeah, yardage. Very, very good point. Um, and I think he is just, he is right there in terms of, of value with Blake Corum, especially in full point PPR leagues. I mean, he got a lot to replace with Hassan Haskins. And, and remember, I mean, Hassan Haskins put up what, 1400 yards, something like that, 20 touchdowns. Yeah. Blake Corum still had 900 rushing yards and, and double-digit touchdowns. So well, let's not forget, Corum had better numbers than he did but until Corum kind of got banged up, right? I mean, Corum was ahead of him from a fantasy point standpoint up until that injury. Yeah, so I mean, it's this is a situation where, you know, I say handcuffed, but there's no hesitancy from my ends that if yeah. you want to draft Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, they're both going to score double-digit points per game every single game. Um, yeah. And then last but not least, I just, you know, I, I, the quarterback situation is interesting here. And, and like I mentioned, I'll take you up on the bet if J.J. McCarthy is this. He's not going to start week one. But, you know, maybe we see kind of you'll, – you'll see him play in the non-conference. He's going to get a few series here and there. If You, you might start to see his, his playing time increase as the season goes along. He's the guy that can take Michigan to – playoff contention again he's got the legs he's got uh, as, as strong as arm as anybody in the country um so i wouldn't be surprised if jj mccarthy takes over as qb1 by the end of the season well where we're, we know there isn't any uncertainty and the the players are going high across the board is with Ohio State offense, right? C.J. Stroud coming back, Travion Henderson back. You've got Jackson Smith and Jigba back. Marvin Harrison Jr. cemented in that wide receiver two role, Mike. There's no questions going into the new season with the Ohio State offense other 
other than just maybe who's going to really be that wide receiver three this year and how much target share is that wide receiver three going to get this year, right? I mean, really, for me, that's the only question going in with Ohio State's offense this year. Yeah, I, I tweeted about it earlier in the offseason. We wrote about it in the guide. Um, you had a, just a stark difference between 2020 numbers and last year's numbers where it was just a massive target share, 50, 55 percent in 2020 uh, with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. And then it was just a spurs right across the board uh, when you add uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba into the into the mix. What's it going to be like this year um, with the wide receiver three spot sort of unsettled? Um, I'm not going to Buga likely starter, in my opinion. Julian Fleming, Fleming is still there, but, um, you know, we're, we're, we're siding with like Buga there. But which, which, which end of the spectrum do we get? Do we get target share spread across the board with the top three wide receivers, or is it more heavily swayed to the top two? Yeah. In most cases in life, I think it's just typically somewhere in the middle. And if you look at Ryan Day over the over the last few years, his wide receiver three target shares around 13, 14 percent. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's where, uh, you know, whoever wins the wide receiver three spot kind of shakes out. I'm more willing to uh, to side on the. Um, I'm willing to 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 kind of set you know, stake my claim in the ground and set my flag on that. I think this could be a year where the wide receiver one and two could be heavier than three. And I say that because we're still, even though, even though you've got a there at the wide receiver three Fleming still could be an option. And I think just for the simple fact that there's a little uncertainty and we don't know for sure, just leads me to lean a little bit more with the, I'm going to side more on the heavy wide receiver one, wide receiver two target share, particularly with Njigba coming back, Stroud coming back. I mean, you've got some experience coming back there with Ohio State. You know, one quick point I want to make in regards to running back, Mike, because sometimes it's nice to offer a little context in regards to our ranking. And, and you're a big B. John Robinson fan. I mean, look, that, that's that's not, you know, that's that's well known, right? But there's also questions about rankings. And and here's why I have Henderson ranked ahead of Bijan. And sometimes it's little simple things that sometimes we don't, you know, I like to look at sometimes. I don't think they'll come into play, but there's still a percentage chance that they could. And we know that Bijan can head off to the NFL at the end of the year where Henderson's got another year left to play, right? So he's got a full year here. And sometimes I look at the schedule, right? And I say, okay, Texas is one of the favorites in the Big 12, but from week six through 10, they got to go through o- Oklahoma, o- Iowa State, Oklahoma State. They're off and they got to go to Kansas State. And I'm not saying that they can't win all of those games, but I'm not going to say that they can't lose any one of those games either. And I just wonder sometimes with a player that's draft eligible like Bijan this year, if for some reason Texas was able to drop a couple of those games and find themselves out of Big 12 contention, would he just kind of hang up the cleats for the year and, and get ready for the NFL. And I'm not saying that that would happen, but for me, it's little, it's subtle things like that that give me the tiebreaker between Henderson and Bijan that really justify a little bit why I have one over the other, just for the fear that I worry that I might lose one over the other towards the stretch run at the end of the year. And I know injuries play a part. You can lose Henderson as much as Bijan, but I just wanted to kind of offer that put a little context behind the ranking a little bit, but look, we're splitting hairs, man. If we're good, if we're talking about that, when it comes to ranking these running backs, right? Yeah. I, 
would agree. I agree in the splitting hairs. I think we would both agree that like Bijan or Travion, you cannot go wrong. At this go point. wrong. Um, they're both going to be uh, extremely productive for you. Uh, my only rebuttal is that uh, Ohio State averaged 32 rush attempts per game last year, which was lowest in the last 10 years um, at Ohio State. So, and he finished as running back 14 last year. So I would side on Bijan. I think they're going to be playing more competitive games. Um, but that's that's my argument, as you well, know. Look, there's I other factors. Have to Bijan Robinson. There's other and factors. I'm arguing against Ohio State. So, <laughs> well, look, there's other factors that play in too. We talk about right. Like, what if one of these guys or one of the Heisman front runners at late in the year? Nobody's sitting at that point. They're going to feed the guy, right? So there's a bunch of factors that are going to play out over the course of the year. And like you said, we're splitting hair, but it makes for some fun conversations as we're going through this, man. Well, look. That's going to do it for the Big Ten. We're going to get this up on the site. We start our third industry best ball draft hosted by the CFF site tomorrow to end down the month of June. So that'll be three best ball drafts that we the results of those should be posted in the guide by by the end of the month as well. So there's still some more conferences to get through. So we're only halfway through this, Mike. So that's going to do it for this show. That's going to do it for the preseason preview series Big Ten show My name's Joe DeSalvo. For my partner, Mike Bainbridge, that's going to do it. And until the next conference, we'll see you guys.